The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you have joined us. As always, we have a great guest and a very intriguing topic today. So I know that you're going to enjoy it, and it's going to get you thinking, and it's going to open your heart. And um, so thanks again that you're for joining us today. Glad, very glad that you're listening. Very glad that you're with us. Thank you also for liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook. We do have a Spirit of Recovery page. And thank you for commenting and uh, for sharing our posts on there. It's just great. Uh, I really appreciate your participation. And um, also, I want to thank you for letting the people in your recovery community, uh, the people in your unity community and your other spiritual communities, your family and your friends, know about us here on Spirit of Recovery, as we are broadcasting on unityonlineradio.org. And I'm so glad to hear how what we're doing here is making a difference in your life, making a difference in your spiritual growth, and making a difference in your recovery. Every week, we do talk about topics that are important to recovering people. Our guests are always uh, folks that are down to earth, that are knowledgeable, people that are innovative, and they're either people in recovery themselves or people who work with or write for recovering people or who are sharing uh, spiritual growth opportunities with people, and lots of times our guests are all of the above, but uh, The guests here on Spirit of Recovery are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to us here on Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live uh, through your computer, through your smart device. You can listen on demand. We've got lots of great archives. You can find those at unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery. So uh, you can find many very interesting topics there that are archived. The Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. If you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're a family member or a friend of someone that has the disease of addiction and uh, perhaps you're in your own recovery as a family member or friend, maybe not, maybe the person that uh, you have as a friend or family member is or is not in recovery from addiction, uh, but whether or not any of whatever the case is, you're welcome here. Maybe you're just curious about the process of recovery. You're looking for some more information about uh, how that works, what's the spirituality of recovery, and we're just so glad that you're here with us today. You're welcome as a listener. You're welcome to participate in our discussions. You can email or call in a question or comment on the topic for my guest. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I am your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister, and I'm an Addictions Counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that do have the disease of addiction. And so for me, this month, 33 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development, for which I am so 
grateful to have those doors opened in my life, in my mind and heart. And ever since that time, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles. And that uh, sure keeps me uh, growing. It keeps me transforming. It keeps me developing a deeper relationship uh, with my higher power and a deeper understanding of myself. So I'm very grateful uh, for my own uh, participation in this spiritual growth process and very delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. Today on Spirit of Recovery, our topic is Working It with Grace, and my guest is Bob A. Bob A. is a person who has um, a lot of years of really good quality, deep recovery, and um, he's going to be sharing with us today about what happens when the bottom drops out of your life, even after all of those years of a lot of recovery and really uh, an honest commitment to the recovery process. Um, Today, Bob is celebrating a birthday that... uh, he didn't think he was going to be around to see. And uh, Bob is a former colleague of mine, and he is a current friend who, uh, among other things, is a person in recovery. He has a heart for helping other people, and he's always open to a new adventure. And you're going to hear a lot about that today because he certainly has been on a wonderful new adventure, one I think he didn't maybe quite expect, but uh He has uh, certainly used his spiritual growth process and his principles and so forth to, it's amazing, you're going to be amazed, Um, I am, at all that uh, he is doing and is through the power of God in his life. And uh, Bob also uh, tells me that he's never been so happy in his life, that he's very grateful that God woke him up this morning, that he woke up sober, and that he woke up next to his amazing wife, Joanne. So, Bob, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Well, thank you, Reverend Anna. It's good to be here. I've been on once before, and I consider that an honor and a blessing, and here I am again. It's good to be here. It's great. Yeah, thank you for being back on. Yeah, and boy, there's been a lot of change since that time. I don't remember, maybe it was a couple of years ago, but your process, what you've been uh, doing since that time has just absolutely been amazing. So, I know that. as we said, on May 18th, this Sunday, you celebrated what, a belly button birthday, meaning your physical birthday um, here on this planet Earth. And uh, your medical doctors told you that you very well might not uh, live to see that birthday that you just celebrated. Um, how, did all, how did that happen? Why in the world did they tell you that? Well... I'd like to start out with saying that uh, being a person with the disease of addiction that's had the opportunity to go to treatment and get support through a 12-step fellowship, that that I'm lucky to be alive from that, and I'm living on borrowed time, so to speak. Uh, But it's not by coincidence. And there was a series of incidents that happened last year and part of the year before that I'm convinced are not a coincidence and that there was a purpose behind them. And basically what happened to me is that September 2012, I began to go on treatment for my hepatitis C. I've been on treatment three times. And at that time, the the uh, treatment and the side effects were pretty brutal. And this time... I was being told my virus had was being cleared and that uh, things were looking good and the side effects got really bad towards month six. I was going to be on for a year. So they pulled me off of it. And what had happened is that my immune system, which was already comprom- excuse me, compromised, became more compromised from the interferon, which is a chemotherapy. And from that point, I was working, I was working through that, I was doing my job well, and then the company that I worked for that I that transferred me from Minnesota out here to Philadelphia 
had a revenue shortfall and they laid off a lot of people. They laid off a number of people and my job uh, did not make the cut. And so I found myself unemployed in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania after my wife and I had moved here like nine months previously. So so here we were. And I, what's interesting, Anna, all right, may I call you Anna or should I please. go with the Reverend? No, please call me Anna. Okay, good. Because the day that I was told that my position was going to be eliminated. It was like getting kicked by a horse in the stomach. It was just painful at a core level because I loved what I do. I worked in the recovery field for 28 years. And after that length of time, it kind of becomes your identity, so to speak, and you become real comfortable with that. And the hardest part about that, and I think that why I felt so sick to my stomach was that I had to go back and let my wife know that I had lost my job. And I was concerned about the disappointment that she might have, but I I went home and I told her, and she couldn't believe it either because I was doing well in my work. And she says, don't worry about it. Things happen for a reason, and you need to trust in God. You need to have faith, and you know he's going to pull you through whatever happens to you. And I know that, but when you're in the mix of some pain, you tend to forget that. And so I, the next day, I was fine, and I was at peace with the whole thing. And in in my past life, I would have been resentful, I would have been angry, I would have been blaming, I would have done all of that stuff, but I had a peace about it, knowing that something was going to come down the road. So I started slinging resumes from my office, and I was in my office one day, and my arms started to swell up, and I got concerned, and it kept getting bigger. I mean, I could watch it expand. And so I called my wife. She took me to the emergency room and they didn't want to touch it. So I got transferred via ambulance to a hospital called Chester Crozier, which is, they have a burn unit that's one of the best on the East Coast. And they also specialize in this necrotizing fasciitis which is what I was diagnosed with, and that's the flesh-eating bacteria. Wow. And and so what happened upon the transfer is that I don't remember much after that because mm-hmm. they put me in emergency surgery. My, my arm was about as big as my thigh. And wow. Yeah, and they made an incision on the top just to keep it from blowing up and ripping apart. And so they went in, and they removed about a quarter of my arm, and they told my wife that she needed to prepare for end-of-life decisions about me, and that they didn't think I was going to make it, and that if I did make it, I probably would need to be in a nursing home for the cognitive implications that were associated with this. So... So it was just crazy, and I was in and out of consciousness. And I'll tell you a brief story. Of course, I don't tell brief stories. I never have been able to. (laughs) Initially, when I would wake up in this, out of this state of being, I was on enough opiates to kill a horse. And I got into a psychosis that, that I thought that they were detaining me at the hospital and putting the IVs in me because it was kind of a plot to hold me until I could uh, 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 go into Philadelphia and be tried for murder. So so I tried to do an escape. I had an escape plan all set up, but the only problem was I couldn't walk and I couldn't get out of bed. So so there's humor in these stories. So. <laughs> That's a good thing, Bob. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so I had a plan. It didn't work out too good. And basically, for the next three weeks, I was so drugged up. And I had, through this whole time, I was in the hospital for five weeks. I had five surgeries. And each of them were major on my arm. 
But that's the chronological story. And the real story is the spiritual aspect of what I went through and the grace that was uh, given to me to by people, by by my wife, by God, and whatever else is out there that is good. And throughout this process, even though I was drugged up, I came to a point very soon, or after being admitted, once I had uh, um, um, stopped my escape plan, that that I was actually okay if if my life was over and my spirit was to go to the next level or uh, to be on the other side, I was okay with it. And if I were to live, I was okay with that too. And I hit a point of surrender um, and I was powerless anyhow, but I hit this point of surrender and I was at peace going through this whole thing, at, at least when I was conscious. And mm-hmm. every time I woke up, my wife was there, and she would bring in my computer, and she would show all the people on Facebook who were praying for me. Um, they also told her that she needed to, uh, to call my relatives and to have them come out because it was that serious. So I just... The last time I was on your show, I spoke um, of uh, grace, Mm -hmm. and I'm here by the grace of God. I'm here by the power of prayer, and I felt that prayer at um, a core level, and I was getting a lot of prayer, and my wife, Joanne, she called in a lot of prayer markers um, from all of her friends, and I have people I know throughout the country. And I felt it at the core level that prayer was making a difference in my healing and in my point of surrender and acceptance. Um, And before I go on, let me see if you have any questions for me. Yeah, I do have one um, question. And... uh, and that is, is that during this time when you're in the hospital and you're coming, coming in and out of consciousness, I, I got two questions in, and, uh, one is, is, were you, were you really communicating with your wife, Joanne, and anybody else, or, or was it just an internal process? That question, then I'll ask you the next question when we get back from the break in a minute, but, um, so I'm wondering, was it just all inside of you, or were you talking with her and or other people? during this time was, when you're coming in and out? It was both. and But mostly it uh, was an inside job um, through my spiritual walk and, and my life experiences. It, I know that to be okay with something, it needs to come internally with support from the external. And I guess that's probably my truth in answering that question. But every time I woke up, my wife was there. And mm-hmm. when and so it's an internal job. And again, we'll just sort of start with this, and then then after the break, I want to ask you some more about it. So, were you like hallucinating, or just sort of like everything's? Pe- you know, what was going on within you, in your mind during all this? Well, early on, I did have that uh, paranoia that I was being uh, detained while they were holding me before I went into Philadelphia to face right. the murders. And then I would also hear the nurses talking, and I was convinced that they were upset with each other because there was going to be a union strike when, in fact, there was no conversation. So I was really cognitively gone at one point. 
Um, okay, hang on to that. It's time for our break. We'll get back okay. to that and hear hear about this internal process and spiritually what was happening for you. Um, my guest is Bob A. We're talking about working it with grace, and Bob is telling us how he, um, after years of lots of wonderful recovery and, and working in the recovery field, how he really uh, got a deeper walk with God in some very profound ways. So listeners, stay with us. We're on a bright, brief break. We'll be right back. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. Guidance and direction are bubbling up from your soul all the time, even at night. But do you hear your soul when it calls? Do you recognize it? Do you trust it? Can you trust it? How can you be certain you are hearing the voice of your precious soul? Janet Connor teaches five wisdom habits that help you hear your soul, recognize and trust its guidance. And begin to take action to create a truly beautiful life. Learn the wisdom habit of divine dialogue in Writing Down Your Soul. How to live a life of integrity in Soul Vows. And discover your soul's unique purpose in Check the Box. If you long to create a soul-directed life, visit JanetConnor.com and explore all five courses in her signature series, Your soul wants five things. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share... Call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. If you're just joining us, our topic today is Working It with Grace, and my guest is Bob A. And we're talking about what happens when you've got lots of years of of really good sobriety, great recovery, and uh, the bottom seems to drop out of your life. And what Bob's sharing with us is that you let go into the enormity of God's love and grace, and um, you let the prayers of those that love you lift you up, and you you get in touch with that presence of God that's in your own life, and you let go into so much trust, and uh, boy, life changes. So Bob has uh, just celebrated a belly button birthday on Sunday, that May the 18th, and uh He's grateful to be alive because he didn't think he was going to be. But not only is he physically alive, he is spiritually, emotionally um, alive in wonderful ways. And his life has taken some incredibly uh, major, beautiful uh, turns. And uh, he's sharing that with us today. 
Before I get back to my conversation with Bob, I invite you to join me in the Serenity Minute. And that is a moment to share a constructive idea and to take a moment in the quiet to allow our higher power, as we understand our higher power, to uh, touch us, allow ourselves to become more aware of that presence in our lives. So I invite you to relax and feel that peace, that presence that is God, allowing your body to relax, allowing your mind and your heart to relax. And share with me this constructive idea. God is with me. God loves me. No matter how difficult or challenging the outer circumstances are, the opportunity is for a deeper trust in God. God is always with me. God always loves me. No matter how challenging or difficult the outer circumstances, the opportunity is always for a deeper trust in God. I let go and let my higher power bring me into new ways of living. And so we take a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I trust that it was an opportunity for you to feel that presence of your higher power and to experience that deep love that your higher power has for you. And so now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Bob A., talking about working it with grace. So, Bob, before the break, um, you had told us that uh, during this severe illness that you were having, you had five about five weeks in the hospital, and um, you know you had to be on a lot of pain relieving drugs and so forth, and um, that you were in and out of consciousness, and that during this time you really got into a place of real deep surrender about you know God, if you want me to keep living uh, on Earth plane, I can. If you're ready for me to go on into my next um, experience with you, I can. What was it that was happening within you, Bob, do you think that brought you to this place of surrender? What was going on? Well, I think it's because of the fact that I have a pretty severe substance abuse disorder. I'm an addict and I'm an alcoholic. And throughout my life, I've had a, um, a couple treatments. And we have 12 spirit principles that require us to understand powerlessness to understand hope, to understand surrender, and to understand faith at the spiritual level. And I think all of that prepped me to be able to do that during this experience. And so I think the groundwork was laid by God pulling me through this. And and God works through people, let's face it. Um, our connection with people um, is reflective of our relationship with God and people are basically what brought me through but if you want to know the truth of it when you're knocked on your rear end and you cannot do anything when you cannot move when you can't care for yourself you can't drink um, you can't get up to go to the bathroom the concept of powerlessness is pretty easy to grasp and along when you do that it you have your choice and to make am i going to accept my situation or am i going to believe the lie that i have some power over the situation and i think because of practicing that spiritual uh, uh principle of acceptance i was able to do that while i was in the hospital and there's one thing else i want to say before i go further is that you know, we strive to be spiritual beings because that's what we are, but we try to develop spiritually. And I want to tell you, Anna, that parts of this experience, there were times where my faith-o-meter, you know, that 
that that <laughs> meter inside of us where your faith is strong or your faith is struggling is mm-hmm. that my faith meter was low at several times. There was times I didn't trust. There was times I was afraid. There were times that, that I was just questioning um, what is going on here. Yet, for the most part, I was able to be in that spiritual spot. And you know what else? And I think God uh, helped me to get there because I... I just don't do that on my own. I'm, I'm a, I can be prideful. I can be judgmental. I can be all those things. But God helped me to be in a, in a place where I could experience more spiritual growth. And, and when we talk about grace, that's, that's what happened through God and, and the love of God. In, in your prayer, you talked about the love of God. And mm-hmm. I and I really felt the love of God, and that kind of not kind of that helped reduce the fear that I had experienced. Because you know, when you're looking at death, it's it's scary. And when I was experiencing that fear, I was able to verbalize it to Joanne and to my. By the way, my sponsor he came in like every other day. And he continued to work the steps with me. And my sponsee came in. And I continued to work the steps with him, which is pretty ironic because I was on enough opioids to kill a horse. But but it was how I stayed grounded because I'm an addict and um, I've been addicted to all kinds of drugs, especially opiates. Mm -hmm. And... I was concerned about the fact that I was taking opiates, yet at the same time, whenever I tried to back off on my own, the pain would just get pretty bad. So mm-hmm. so now I'm rambling. If you could help me refocus. Yeah, sure. No, that's good. So so you were speaking about how that that God obviously works through other people. God works from within us, and God works through people. You had an incredible support network going. You you talked about that a little earlier, and I saw that on Facebook. It was amazing. I mean, I don't know how many people. I can't remember. The, it was like hundreds of people uh, praying with you. And you had people showing up at the hospital. You said you had an interesting visitor, a pastor that you didn't know, but that kept coming by. Tell us about that and, and your other experiences with people dropping by, people of faith. Well, you know, and I'm not sure if I remember his name because it was so so challenging. But I think it was Reverend Baylor. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and so he had trained under Martin Luther King, and this guy was a prayer warrior. He was a man of God, and and he just came in and he prayed with me. He prayed with me and Joanne, and and my other pastor would come in and pray. And I had relatives that were coming in, and they would pray. And Joanne, my wife, is a prayer warrior. I mean, she she just naturally goes there. And so there was a lot of prayer going on in the room. And I think as much as maybe more prayer going on outside of that hospital room. And like I said, I felt it at my core. I had I had never experienced being a recipient of prayer of the magnitude that I did at the core level, you know it. Um, and I don't even know how to describe it. It's something that you'll only know if you ever experience it. And yeah, the power of prayer was huge. And what was interesting is that once, first of all, we weren't sure if I was going to live until a month at the hospital when all of the antibiotics they were pumping through were able to kill this bacteria. But I, um, I just lost my train of thought. That's what I did. Uh, And, and and so the power of prayer and my uh, wife, Joanne, she just walked in the room. So, so I feel somewhat distracted, but I never complain when she walks in the room. Um, Hi, Joanne. Yeah, I, I just felt it at uh, the core level, and oh, I know where I was. I was talking about the healing. Number one, the fact that I got through that first week 
it's basically a miracle, and that's what the doctors and the nurses said. And then when the surgeries began, there were, there were repetitive surgeries. The level in which the surgeries were successful and how I was responding to them, um, I think my doctor at one point and said that she's never seen anything like that. And, and that's very um, not a usual experience that the medical team has there, but it was very rapid. And you can't tell me that wasn't by the power of prayer, and you can't tell me that it wasn't by the grace of God because he still has things for me to do down here to carry out his will. So, so the, the whole healing process, even though... I was really, really sick, and they didn't know until I was there for a month whether I would live. It was very atypical, and so mm-hmm. I think that's more evidence of prayer, especially Absolutely. with the compromised immune system that I had from all that interferon. And I think the stress of losing my job might, but I'm not blaming that on my employer either. So, so or I should say my former employer. It was right. just the reality of the situation. Right. And and yeah, one thing you tell me uh, as well, Bob, is that in terms of the, the prayer and the sort of the that wonderful way that God works is that, again, you said people of faith just sort of stopped by your room, people that you didn't even know, but like people that worked at the hospital or that were the cleaning crew or whatever, um, people from your faith community, they yeah, just showed sure. up. And and I swear it was just remarkable from from the housekeeping staff to the food delivery people to the person drawing blood from the person who was my physical therapist. They just shared their faith with me, and and there was active prayer. And typically, you don't get that level of prayer by coincidence in a secular world, which, quite frankly, I think is where we live. Um, and so all these things just kept popping up. At, at one point, too, I, I have to share, here I'm going back into the medical thing. My arm was really bad, and they were considering removing my arm. And um, I think that it was, the writing was on the wall, but when they rolled me into the operating room, they saw that the bacteria had jumped from my arm to my side. And so then they threw out the idea of removing my arm to save me because it had jumped over to my body and there's no sense in removing the arm when you can't remove the right side. So so mm-hmm. even with all of that said, the healing was atypical, like I told you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just... I love it. That's a wonderful story. And again, I I was following uh, your experience on Facebook and was I you know I didn't get all the details, but I was just amazed at as you said at the amount of love and prayer and support just coming through there. So, and in addition to all the other you know that was aside from that. So it's true. It's like uh, incredible healing presence, and uh, no wonder that uh, you have that. Uh, have that atypical experience and got that healing. Um, and God sure does have work for you to do, and uh, you're doing it. And there's been a lot of adventure that's happened to you with that, too, the work that you're doing and also some things that happened through your former employer and so forth. So uh, well, tell us about that. that's another interesting part. For, for quite some time, my wife and I have – we pray at every meal, and we – frequently pray that God satisfy the spiritual hunger of people and the physical hunger of people. And that's a constant um, um, thing that we have a heart for. I've done a little volunteering with the homeless and hungry, and my wife Joanne has as well. And so when all this was done and I was um, off of all the opiates, um, I started slinging my resume, and here I end up working at a food bank in Philadelphia in a position through my work to put 
food on the plates of people who otherwise wouldn't have it. And so that is not a coincidence. That is answered prayer. <laughs> and it's God's plan. It's not my plan. My plan was never to come to Philadelphia. My plan was never to work at a food. I thought I'd be in the addiction treatment business all my life. My plan was not to have necrotizing fasciitis. Yet at the same time, I know God didn't bring that on me because I think that uh, disease and all those things are not of God. They're not of love. They're not of good. But he took that situation um, and turned it into good. And that's the power of God right there. The other thing I'd like to stress, Anna, is that I talk about grace, and I talk about God pulling me through. I don't think that, and there's been times in my life where people who were important to me died, people who I just loved, and I thought, well, there there can't be a God that would let this happen. There can't be a God that would permit a holocaust. And there's things like that that I just don't understand, and I don't understand. I I question sometimes why he was bringing me through this, and it's quite evident to me today that the, the purpose in my life right now is pretty clear, and that's to continue to be a good husband, to to help put food on the plates of people who are experiencing hunger. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. That is cool. I love it. Uh We'll talk some more about that when we get back. It's time for our break. Uh, Listeners, our topic is Working It with Grace, and my guest is Bob A., and you can hear he's telling us wonderful things about faith and and about uh, moving into new, uh, deep arenas of life. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We know that God is the source of our prosperity, but how do we manifest it in our lives? We simply change our limiting patterns around money, relationships, and health. Then, naturally, our vitality goes up, and so does our cash flow. We start to live with purpose, sharing our unique ability. Join us on Prosperity Power Hour every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time to claim your divine inheritance. Prosperity for all, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet. With your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're with us today. If you're just joining us, our topic is Working It With Grace. Um, My guest is Bob A., and he is sharing with us his really wonderful story about, uh, as he's got many years of of really high-quality sobriety and recovery, that uh, how he, God used a recent situation in his life of some real physical medical challenges to uh, invite him to a deeper relationship and and, uh, wonderful new avenues of life. So... Um, Bob, before the break, you were telling us how you know that uh, you did face death and and, uh, you were willing to die to go on to your next experience with God. And you were also willing to stay here on earth plane and do what's yours to do. And um, you stayed, obviously. I'm glad about that. And uh, you've got a a life today that's in a lot of ways uh, the same. Your recovery core there is there. And yet... Lots of stuff in the outer is different. So you feel a renewed sense of purpose, I think. Well, I absolutely do. And I have to share something with you. The company that I used to work for is a drug and alcohol mm-hmm. treatment center mm-hmm. um, that that uh, delivers the care that we were both trained in at Hazleton's Graduate School of Addiction Studies. Right. And when I was in the hospital, the the executive vice president of clinical services came down to visit. I've known him for years. In fact, he hired me away from Hazelden, and I had people from the alumni department coming down, and 
what was interesting is that they told me that, you know, being on opiates for that long, I was on opiates for eight months, that if I needed uh, to go uh, to detox up there, they would fund it. If I needed to go to treatment for 30 days, they would fund it. If I needed to go to an extended care program somewhere, they would fund it. And if I needed to go to a sober house, after that, they would fund that as well. And you know what? They didn't have to do that. And mm-hmm. and that's another example of the grace that came into my life. Of course, I said jokingly back to them, well, if if you're willing to pay all that, why don't you just put me back on the payroll? But but at the same time, I was so at peace about not being there anymore that it was just that statement was made in jest. So mm-hmm. so I think grace came through them, and I ended up uh, going up there to detox because I started um, a taper under the direction of the chief medical officer at my former employer, and. Mm-hmm. We got to the point where it would have been easier for me to just check in and go through a medically supervised detox at that point. So, so, so they didn't have to do it, but they made a decision to do that and to make those offers. And there's more grace in that. But in terms of grace, and grace is one of the most hardest thing to receive. And it's one of the hardest things to give, in my opinion, because we are prideful. And pride is a spiritual killer. And I think one of the things I've learned over the last few years especially is that to strive towards humility and reduce pride through prayer because I I personally think only God can remove those character defects that's why we ask him to remove them but we can practice those spiritual opposites and in this case I've been practicing the spiritual opposite of humility sometimes in a good way sometimes not so good and I think that's what really helped me open up to acceptance and understanding that I was powerless and being able to receive that grace. Does that make sense to you? It does. And I'm going to ask you uh, this question is, again, after that many years of sobriety that you've had and really working uh, your recovery and being in the recovery field as a professional, what was that like for you to be back in detox? And um, I, I'm guessing that was part of the humility. Yes, it was, because I didn't want to go. I wanted to control it by myself. I wanted to be in charge. Though I did give the prescriptions for the opiates when I got out. I handed those over to Joanne. And I only asked for extra once because I fell down the stairs. And I, 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 and, and, and I had cast on both arms. So, oh. so, so, so I did double dip that one time. But I have to tell you, Anna, when I was in the hospital... I had unlimited access to opiates, and as a dope fiend, as a drug addict, and as um, a person who is really sick when it comes to addiction, I loved every minute of those opiates. I have to share that. That's mm-hmm. that's that's my truth, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's kind of scary. But you know, mm-hmm. it, it validates the fact that. There's no question in my mind that, that I'm a drug addict because I tell you what, those nurses came around and they said, would you like some pain medication? Well, they didn't even have to ask. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. But I was in a lot of pain. When they right. go into your arm and open it up and they leave it open and it's flapping around, and you're, you, I was in a lot of pain. But sure. still, i got to tell you, I liked it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think that's. I I, I that's very. But well, it's reality. It's the fact, and you know, I think that um, there are a lot of people in recovery from substance addictions that have the. I think it's so helpful, Bob, that you're sharing this because people are concerned, like, what's going to happen if I have to go to the hospital? You know, I have to have surgery or whatever, and I have to take some uh, opiates. I have to take some pain 
uh, drugs? What's going to happen to me? Am I going to lose my sobriety? Am I going to come back? You know, all that. So what you're sharing is really helpful and it's honest, you know? Yeah, and also and at the, a place where I had worked, they have a relapse unit. About 80% of the people that come back through relapse or multiple relapse, they do so because of opiates that are prescribed by doctors because it's so easy, as you know, to mm-hmm. get opiates these days. It's crazy. And mm-hmm. I do want to share with you, too, I'm glad that I bought the, uh, the COBRA insurance, which extended my health care insurance because the bill to stay at the hospital was $1.3 million. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I didn't have I didn't have that laying around. Let me tell mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's grace too. That's right. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and the other thing I have to share with you is that since I got home, um, the whole nursing home thing of being cognitively impaired to the degree that I couldn't that I would need supervision and a lot of help. Um, I was very fortunate to not get there. And mm-hmm. a chain of, of events happened where Joanne and I were in a position to provide life sharing, basically provide a foster home for a gentleman who's 58 years old, but cognitively he's about eight years old and five years old, and I don't know if I would have been prepared to do that unless if I was looking at needing that kind of care myself, and so I had an obligation, I think, to God, and Joanne would do that anyhow. Mm -hmm. That's just the way Joanne is, but for me, I got brought through this thing, and we are able to provide care for him and they were looking at putting him in a uh, group home with lower functioning people which typically people with special needs will play down to the level of who surrounds them or play mm-hmm. up yeah mm-hmm. well so it opened up a door a really important door for for service that maybe opened up some more compassion for you, well, I've like. always been a compassionate person, but I've also been a very self-centered person because I think in in um, our basic text of AA, it says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our problems. And, and for us to be other-centered, I think, does not come naturally. But part of this process brought me to a point of other-centeredness, and it was no coincidence that this chain of events happened with Leon um, either. It's just, you know when you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Bob, what's your um, sobriety like now? You you told us that you, you know, you obviously you, you had a lot of long-term sobriety. You had the medical event, so you, you had to take the opioids for pain management. You went through detox. How is your actual sobriety and your recovery different now than it was before this all happened well and now here i need here i need to bring truth as well Mm -hmm. are you okay yes we're you're breaking up a little bit okay because i don't know where the problem is but i i hope it's not my phone but but the and here's my truth i've attended less meetings than i have before and, however, I'm still working with my sponsor, and if I go to meetings, um, I look for opportunities uh, to be of service, and and I sponsor a guy. But that's an area of my life I need to pick it up. I need to ramp up that part of my life because I know how important that it is. And mm-hmm. so I do pray, I meditate, um, I read the AA literature, I help other alcoholics. The The meeting factor needs to pick up, and I know that. And so I'm working through that. And And I would like to say, oh, I go to 90 meetings, 90 days all the time, and I sponsor 15 people, blah, 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 blah. But that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So and and I'm also struggling in my recovery. One of the things that's affecting my spirit these days is I believe there was some cognitive effects of all this because I never had a uh, snapshot memory before, but I think that's been affected, and the um, my ability to do analysis has kind of dropped a little bit. But you know what, Anna? I don't know if that's because I'm 60 years old. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it's because of that. I'm not sure if it's because of years of substance abuse. Who knows? But that's affecting my spirit. And my wife called me out on it, and she said she was concerned. And so I'm just I'm trying to get into a point of acceptance with whatever is going on there as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so anyhow, I would like to... Not say that, but this is part of my story. This is part of, and you asked the question on how's my recovery. Mm-hmm. My spirit's being affected by that, um, uh-huh. but it's also I'm able to get right through spiritual practices and being other centered. I guess. Right. It. Yeah. Our time is uh, up, but uh, Bob, thank you so much for being with me. And it's true. It sounds like that, even though you know. Obviously, there's some, perhaps, as you're saying, maybe some effects um, over from all this that uh, the main effects are that you uh, are of service in deeper ways, that you are, have an incredibly wonderful faith in God that you share so beautifully and that uh, it's almost like you're living in a whole new level of joy and bliss. And it's a delight to hear your story. So thanks for being my guest today. Well, I tell you what, like I said, it's an honor to be your guest. I knew you back at Hazleton's Graduate School of Addiction Studies. You've always had this spirit about you, and and I, I just, it's an honor. So feel feel free to call on me anytime, or better yet, feel free to call on my wife because she's the real, she's the testimony in this whole thing, and I was just a recipient. I think you should. Bring my wife on and interview her. So, so I'll let All you right. get going. I will. I'll do it. <laughs> Seriously. Right. So, right. so, so I offer up her to you. And thanks again for letting me be on the show. And to all the people in your audience, I want to say, be well and stay well. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for being with us. God bless you. We'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Reverend Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately, 
or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.